morning we started talking about the idea of standing fast in our liberty, which got into the idea of exactly what having that liberty meant. Uh, we talked a lot about what Paul said to not just one church, but more than one church, and more importantly got into the words of Christ himself, talking about how Christ had given us that liberty and we shouldn't go back to the old ways, and about what sorts of things in our life would have kept us in our old state, and how they're just not worth going back for it. And the idea of standing fast in our liberty, we need to handle the law properly. That was where we had left off. Because people, there's groups that will say, oh, well, that whole Old Testament's just not asleep. Well, no, it's not. It's still there, and it still needs to be handled properly, because all Scripture is profitable. 1 Timothy 1.8 says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. No. I was still in 1 Timothy. That was supposed to be 2 Timothy 2.15. If anybody beats me there, feel free to read it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth, showing yourself a workman. Basically, studying your Bible so you know what you're talking about, know what you're getting into. It's one of the main reasons denominationalism is so successful. If nobody's ever read their Bible, they'll believe whatever they're told by somebody in a fancy tie or a nice pair of overalls. <laughs> The fact of the matter is that our all scripture was written for our learning and admonition. It was put there through the inspiration of God so that we could look at it and we could use it in one way or another to better ourselves and to follow Christ better. Romans 15.4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 says, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Somebody might try to cherry pick through the Bible and say, what in the world has David, peeping on another rooftop, got to do with me? Well, how about you look at how that ended for him? What has it got to do with you? It was an example. You go back and you read, so what in the world does these Ten Commandments got to do with me? I'm a Christian. Well, look at them carefully. Every single one of them is covered in Christianity, even if you try to believe the Old Testament's obsolete. There is not a book, chapter, verse, word, in these scriptures that cannot better or improve your life one way or another. Are we in the law of Moses? No. But it's not obsolete, and we don't stop reading any part of our Bible. We might focus on one area more than another this month, but the whole Bible is relevant, and we need to be studying it throughout our lifetimes. Our Bible is there for profitable doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So what happens if we're not in and out of our Bibles as we should be? Well, we're going to miss one of these key elements in our growth. We won't have profitable doctrine. We'll miss some reproof, some correction, possibly some very important instruction of righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus, all Scriptures given by inspiration of God, 
in his profitable doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. I think that thoroughly furnished part comes into play big time here because when you start cherry picking or a la carding throughout scripture, how are you thorough? If you hire a contractor to be thorough and they didn't paint, you're not happy. If you hire them to be thorough and you turn on your sink and the drain runs out on the floor, they missed something. They weren't thorough. And if you're studying the Word of God so that you can learn about how things are supposed to be and you skip a section, you have no idea how important that section might be. You might spiritually flood your basement because you missed a chapter on drains. The fact is that God inspired all of it because at whatever stage we're at, it all has a purpose. It still does have its limitations. Uh, like for the law itself, it has ceased to be the system of justification. So it's limited in the fact that we aren't under the law, even though it does have its profits. Galatians 5.4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. You can't get to try to get to salvation both ways. Well, I'll keep the law and I'll be a Christian. That way, if Christ doesn't come through, i got the law to back me up. No, it doesn't work that way. If you think you're justified by the law, then you're not trusting Christ. And if you're trusting Christ, then you're not under the law. The law of Moses has been replaced as a covenant. It's one of several covenants throughout Scripture, and as the upgrades come along, we move along. We got the ultimate upgrade to Christ. Hebrews 6, 8, uh, 8, 6 through 13 says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there should be no... There should no place had been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judea, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded not them, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their iniquities, will I remember no more. And that, he saith, the new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and wax old is ready to vanish away. That doesn't mean that God made a mistake when he made the original covenant. That means not only that man wasn't holding up their part, but that God wasn't ready for the next stage of his own plan. And then we got to the part he was headed for. Well, it's time for Christ. So these other things were good, and go ahead and study them, but just know that it's Christ that's going to get you that righteousness. Its religious observances have been replaced as far as going from that old covenant to the new. Hebrews 9, 9 and 10 says, Which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances, 
imposed on them until the time of Reformation. It's kind of like a holding place. Christ isn't coming yet, so we'll go ahead and do these things for now, but they're not as good as them. Do these sacrifices that will never be enough as it leads us up to the ultimate sacrifice that will cover everything. John 4, 20-24 says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. For know what, for know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such worship to him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. No more locations and vain rituals and animal sacrifice. We just simply worship him in spirit and truth. We stay true to him in our everyday walk, and not just at the time of festival. The law itself must be properly handled if we are to preserve our liberty in Christ. We don't discard it as nothing. We don't try to live under it, but we know that it still has its place, and we respect what that place is. We need to apply our blessings in Christ liberally. The blood of Christ frees us from the guilt of sin. Ephesians 1.4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The remission of sin is promised to those who repent and are baptized. Acts 2.38, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy continence. And as you go through this stuff, it's just like saying, well, I'm going to pick and choose out of the Bible the parts that are convenient or I feel irrelevant. No, we take everything together. The whole Bible, the whole Gospel, the whole being of who Christ happens to be. The blood of Christ remains available for Christians who repent of sin. 1 John 1, 7 through 7-10 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Christ, his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That goes, goes back to the person who will tell their, their brother or their neighbor or their boss, well, I'm not going to ask you for forgiveness because I haven't done anything wrong. And if you think you haven't sinned, that's pretty much the attitude you've got with Christ. Well, I don't need your salvation. I'm perfect. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The fact of the matter is, no matter how good of a person we are or wish we were or think we're going to be without Christ, I am nothing. Christians need to repent and pray when they sin, because yes, we still do that. Acts 8.22, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Christianity doesn't mean thou perfect individual who dost not do wrong anymore. It simply means redeemed sinner who would like to do better. And luckily enough, he's been washed in the blood, so Christ is going to help you out. The Spirit of God can... Free us from the power of sin. Romans 8, 12-13 Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. 
No matter how much we stumble and fail, the fact is that God can strengthen us by His Spirit in the inner man, and most of these things are things we'll never accomplish without the Lord. Ephesians 3.16 says that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. The kind of strength I don't see myself ever finding on my own. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to do and to will, of his good pleasure. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. If you're setting out to do any good and wholesome thing, if it be God's will, the Lord will give you the strength to make it happen. We need to not hesitate to access the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God to make us, to make use of our liberty in Christ. Uh, situations like dealing with traditions of men cautiously comes to mind. Traditions may have a place on an individual level, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't necessarily need to be integrated all that deep into our religious or spiritual side. Romans 14, 5 through 6, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the, door, to the Lord he does not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks goes back to the verse, and I should have put it in here, that you do all things in the name of the Lord. Or taking the old saying and modifying it a little bit, if you wouldn't do it in front of your grandma, don't do it. Well, if you wouldn't do it in front of Christ, don't do it. By the way, if you're a Christian, you're doing it in front of Christ. This is the kind of thing that was once taught as a doctor of God. Mark 7, 7, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They did it back then. Oh, well, these are our traditions that help us out greatly, so we're just going to say it's part of our uh, scriptures and laws. And now there are many church groups who do the same thing. Well, you won't quite find this in the Bible, but it profits us, so we're going to make it a part of your Christianity. Taking these man-made ideals and making it a set in stone part of the doctrine is not right. Traditions are okay if they're in their right place and they're not violating anything. But you can't change the Word of God, you can't change the plan of salvation, and you can't take things that are just a simple tradition and harmless in the right place and say, oh, no, 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 this is, this is a commandment of God. God says you have to drink four cups of coffee a day. No, he doesn't, but I'm sure he appreciates the fact that I treat people better after I've had those four cups of coffee. They're okay if I keep them in their place, but I can't tell people that was a commandment of God. I just have to be nice enough to those around me to keep drinking the coffee. When not done, instead of keeping a command of God, is when these things start to become kind of an issue. Mark 7, 8, 9 says, Laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may make your own traditions. If any kind of tradition you have is getting between you and the will of the Lord, it has become a problem. If you have a tradition that you get together every year and everybody gives a hug, okay, so be it. But if that tradition suddenly falls on a Sunday and, well, we got to drive and do these hugs so we're not going to church, okay, now your hugs have become a problem. And you can fill that blank in with anything more realistic that you want. But it's just like the biblical uh, definition of idolatry. 
the biblical idea of idolatry is anything that comes between you and your Lord. A tradition is fine until it comes between you and the will of your Lord. But these things must uh, be handled with the utmost of caution on a congregational level. Things done on a congregational level uh, could necessarily bind up on all members and make them think it's biblical or unbiblical. That's why religious holidays are reasons to be gravely concerned. Not because they're bad, but because if they're not done right, people might think the wrong thing. Or if they get integrated incorrectly, then they can be made bad. Galatians 4, 10, and 11 says, Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Again, he's not saying that the idea of having a holiday or a birthday is bad, but if you put them in the wrong category, they become a problem, just like anything else in your life. We need to be careful to not let human traditions destroy our liberty in Christ. Basically, keep your priorities straight. Christ first, and then make sure your family is good, make sure that your kids are good, your church life is good, and then keep trickling down the priority list. And as long as things are in the right order, this won't be that big of a deal. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. As we keep on going through this chapter here, we find that our best weapon against the flesh is to follow the Spirit. They can't both coincide in the same place. It's like putting fire and ice in the same container. Only one's going to come out the other side. So if you're battling the flesh with the Spirit, as long as you're following the Spirit, the of the flesh is going to melt. Only one's going to come out of that container. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would, but if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Pretty cut and dry there. Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So if you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, there's not a law that you could be violating. Our new life in Christ makes it possible for us to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. As long as we are living for Christ and breathing for Christ and waking up in the morning thankful to have Christ and doing everything throughout our day in the name of Christ, we don't really got to worry about the rest of it. It's going to be correct. We must be diligent to set our minds on the things of the Spirit if we want to enjoy life and peace. Romans 8, 5 and 6. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The liberty we enjoy in Christ is great. Once you've experienced that, it, it's hard to imagine the idea that so many people would backslide, but it's kind of in our nature. By having that liberty, we get freedom from the law of Moses. I wouldn't have wanted to try to follow that one anyhow. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Most importantly, where that would take us if we stayed under that bondage. Freedom from the traditions of men. Not that traditions in and of themselves are bad, but the traditions of men we're talking about biblically here. A lot of them were just ridiculous to begin with, and then when you take into account what they do to your liberty in Christ, it's a whole other issue. Freedom from the works of the flesh. The spirit waging war against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. If you're following the life in the spirit and the liberty of Christ, well, you're free from the works of the flesh because 
the spiritual side tends to win as long as that's the side you're feeding. But when is it not licensed to do whatever we want? Well, that kind of is a no-brainer. We don't do whatever we want because we're supposed to be doing what the Lord wants and striving to do that should be enough to keep us from doing the things that our old nature wants to do that we know we ought not to do. We need to handle the law properly. We need to know that it has its place and there's lots to learn from it, but thankfully we're under the law of liberty, the law of the grace of pre-Jesus Christ. We need to apply our blessings in Christ liberally. We need to know that those blessings are there and that Christ has no problem blessing those that are his. We need to deal our blessings in Christ liberally and deal with traditions of men cautiously. If they fall in the right category, they're okay, but they cannot violate the things of Christ that we don't change. We need to follow the Spirit diligently. The Spirit's not going to lead us astray. And yes, make sure you try those spirits because you don't want to follow the wrong one. With the aid of Paul's epistle to the Galatians, we will succeed in standing fast in the liberty of Christ. And I would hope that everybody here has begun to enjoy the liberty of Christ and all that he offers through obedience to the gospel. Something that we all got to figure out on our own timeline. Nobody can tell you, well, you're ready to go become a Christian. Or, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You're not. 